Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time, Bills Mafia. Another episode of Bills Talk Live Wednesday edition. Uh, I am your host, Matt Perino, with my co-host, Ryan Talbot, and we are joined this week by a very, very special guest, Lorenzo Alexander, a former linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. It still feels weird to, to look at you in that way because, you know, I've been back on the beat now two years, and you've been a, right. you know, a regular in, in the locker room, and I, I usually make it a point every Wednesday to go up and bother you first, so I must say thank you for uh, obliging me all these times, but how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, we're out here in Paradise Valley. This is where our family's calling home now. And um, obviously, we're dealing with the pandemic. And uh, obviously, the, the, the effects COVID-19 is having on the community and, and, and nation, uh, trying to endure that. And so I've been uh, making the best of it, uh, trying to pretend to be a teacher uh, with uh, two kids that are actually in school and then a, a preschooler. Uh, so it's been it's been uh, definitely stressful in that way and a little awkward. But um, I think my wife has done a great job of creating the schedule and the game plan for that. And and I've been striving as far as being a PE teacher. That's 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 my wheelhouse. And so we go out, outside every day and whether we're skating or biking, playing baseball, um, it's been fun to be at home and really get to reengage my family and really get to know them. I think oftentimes just with busy schedules, work, football for me for the last 15 years, you rip and run so much that you miss out on the little integral parts that make your kids and your wife special. For sure, for sure. And it, it, it's so funny about this time because it's kind of that 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 you're weighing things. It's it's number one, it's so exciting and, and, and fruitful to have all this time with your kids. But at the same time, it's really getting them out of their comfort zone. So for me, right. you know, with a six-year-old and a two-year-old, most days are just like, how do we get from 6 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. until we start getting ready for bed? <laughs> it, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for it, sure. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think a schedule is always key. Obviously, your kids are a little bit younger than mine. I have an 11, 9, and 5-year-old at home. And so I can come up with a lot of stuff for them to do as far as chores, going outside and playing. They have some type of an academic um, regimen that the school provides that we take them through. And so we have some some things to kind of fill the time. And then kind of what you're talking about is speaking to this uncertain time, the adversity that we're going through um, and trying to help uh, give my kids a little bit more of that street knowledge as well and, and life skills lessons that you're going to have to learn during this time as well as some other things just by being at home. And so it's been really cool as a dad to kind of speak in their lives and give them a, a different type of education uh, versus the tr traditional, you know, math, science, uh, phonics uh, type of lessons that they would get at school every day. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, you've played all these years uh, in the NFL and every off season is, you know, you, you end your season, you take, you take some break, but then it's right back you know, into the lab, getting, getting your yeah. body ready, especially for you the last couple of years, talk so much about the attention to detail when it comes to your body, you finally get, get a off season where you can kind of chill and, and relax and you can't leave your house. Uh, Cause we're all quarantined. I mean, what's, what's this process been like for you transitioning from, you know, being a player to being a retired player? Um, well, you know, for me, it, it hasn't really hit me yet because I haven't missed any football or, you know, any off season yet because obviously COVID-19 has pushed everything back. Uh, for me, I got what I asked for, though, right? You know, the, one of the top reasons why I retired was family time. And so I've gotten a, an abundance of family time. So I'm actually thinking about, no, nah, I'm, I'm just playing. I'm not coming back. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I'm just trying, I've been trying to utilize it as much as possible. I, I, I'm blessed. Um just the situation that 
football has afforded me. I mean, I have a nice home in Phoenix. And as you probably saw on social media, I have a nice weight room. And so I can still do the things that I'm accustomed to doing over the last 15 years as far as being an athlete, taking care of my body. Um, I, I will be truthful that my diet isn't what it used to be. And so I'm going to pig out from time to time, but I have to continue to work out because I don't want to go back to being 315. So, um, you know, it's a lot of people that are have a lot of hardships and I would be, you know, it would be irresponsible for me to even act like this is impacting me on a level like it has other people. Um, my mom is healthy. Uh, my uncle who, who, who's a diabetic is healthy. Um, and so um, I've gotten through this as unscathed as you possibly can. But I also realized that because I have this platform and resources that I do have, I've been trying to find ways to fill the gap and serve in communities, obviously in Buffalo, my hometown of Oakland, um, and also still working with the Bills as far as trying to game plan how we can help fill the need uh, moving forward. Because mm-hmm. uh, we, we do have some resources and have some, some fruit that we can kind of give to somebody else to allow them to give that cushion so they can breathe not feel stressful and not maybe have any additional ramifications that we are starting to see from the economic downturn because of COVID. Um, no, it's great stuff. And I think everybody that's working in their individual communities to kind of make things better for people that are, you're struggling. I mean, can't say enough good things about those people. Um, and you know, this time it's so funny, like you know, the UFC came back this past weekend and it was the first yeah. live sporting event. And it's amazing how much sports brings us together. You know what I mean? I know everybody yeah. wants the distraction, but what's so great about the whole thing is it it brings everybody together. It gives us something that, you know, unites us. And I think that I think that's the kind of the medicine that we all need in times like this is just like whatever brings right. us together. Yeah. And I think that's probably been the hardest thing about uh, this particular pandemic is that it's essentially shut down every outlet that you normally can at least come together and watch and bond around. And obviously sports is probably one of the most dynamic uh, activities or events that, that you have, especially when you talk about teams, right? Because that's what communities, families normally bond around. And whether you're going out and hanging out tailgating before a game or at the stadium, uh, whether you're going over somebody's house to watch a game, all that stuff uh, that is kind of built around sports, all that, uh, you know, social interaction that we no longer can really have has really, I think, hit people, um, you know, just in a different light. You know, ec- economics is one thing, but to socially, even though it's more physical distance, but socially distance because now you're not in contact with people has also caused a strain. And so anytime that we can have something like a UFC or hopefully uh, the MLB and, and obviously the NBA are trying to come up with plans to, to come back, we then start seeing some hope um, then it also gives a distraction as well as something to kind of come around and kind of be together on, you know, when we look at the news so much and it's so divisiveness, sports is one thing that everybody can kind of agree, agree upon and obviously have some fun in competing versus, you know, whatever your the opponent that you're going against collectively as a, as a community. You know, Lorenzo, you mentioned sports and things, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm getting desperate here for something it's gotten to the point where I was watching a cornhole tournament this weekend on ESPN. Uh, has there been anything, any sports that maybe you never would have watched or any kind of events that maybe you've kind of gotten into now because we don't have that normal NBA, MLB type schedule? Because before this, I never would have sat down and watched a cornhole tournament personally. Were you able to hear him, Lorenzo? I'm sorry. No, I can't hear him at all. Oh, oh, okay. He just yeah, said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're saying he's sitting there like you, you played it off perfectly. I thought you heard yeah. everything he said. Uh, no, he just a drag to it. I don't know. No, he uh, Ryan just asked, uh, he said he's been watching a lot of cornhole, something that he's never watched before because right, of yeah. you know, it's on. Is there anything that you've kind of been watching that maybe you wouldn't have been watching otherwise? Um. Not really. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that I, I've been doing things right. So I'm not a big reader and I, I probably should be, but I've been reading a lot more books. Uh, my son is, is very athletic and whatever he does, he just seems to be great at. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I decided to pick up inline skating and uh, my kids also do piano. I'm like, man, I want to learn how to play the piano, too. So I've been learning how to play the piano. So I've been doing things uh, more of that nature um, to really kind of help myself just become a better person and think differently and learn different skill sets. So I can relate with my kids and 
when I come out of this, just from reading books and educating myself, I have a, a maybe a better um, impact on people because maybe I see things with a different lens than I might have otherwise hadn't if I hadn't read the book or took a course that I was trying to engage in. Have you uh, have you seen the MJ documentary at all? You've been of watching course. it. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> if you you know grew up in that time, I'm an '80s baby, and so I was young when Mike. I, you know, I caught the set. I really saw the second set of three mm-hmm. uh, championships. Uh, but yeah, Mike is is iconic. I mean, anybody in my age bracket is, uh, especially you know, thirty five and up is definitely gonna say Mike is the greatest of all time. And for me, it's really been really cool to kind of see a behind the scenes of really what made him special, what made those those, those teams special, and then obviously all the drama adds to it. But uh, it's just great to watch, man. I mean, because I, I I wish I had his athletic ability I, I think mentally I was I was close to him I wasn't punching nobody or doing none of that crazy <laughs> stuff that he does but I just love I love to I love to win and I and I love the way he competed and and I you know I so I, I see myself a lot just connected with that generation and that mindset versus kind of what it's kind of uh, transitioned to in this day and age I think it was it's been eye-opening to see the level of competitiveness that he had. I mean, everything in his life had to be some form of competitiveness. And it, you know, for me, I I'm, I'm in the locker room with you guys all the time and we get to talk to you about like, you know, everybody in this room is competitive and, you know, after a while you think that those things are just clichés, but it's not, man. That's it's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's something that you know, every day it's what drives you. I mean, have you seen have you seen that level of competitiveness in anybody that you've ever played with? Uh, on the football field? London, I'll sorry, myself, no. London Fletcher. London Fletcher, huh. I mean, he hated to lose, too, and he was so dynamic in the way he played. And I would say another guy was Sean Taylor, and he probably mm. took it to another level. This dude didn't like to lose in practice. And, I, I mean, I remember playing against him and running a play, and I caught him kind of off guard. And he was like, oh, no, run that play again. We're going to run that again. And then, you know, then he comes down and wants to jack me up, or he may <laughs> lose a rep, and then he's going to keep going with that same person until he wins and that's just his mindset and why he was so great as well and obviously his life ended early but that was a, another guy that I saw that just had the athletic ability but mentally was on a whole nother level and, and, and when you have those two mixed up you're going you're gonna to see greatness before your eyes uh, Lorenzo who on this current Bills team would you say is among the most competitive people nope who would you say on this Bills team right now um, coming into 2020 is the most competitive mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys, uh, but you know who I'm, I'm gonna say because a lot of people wouldn't think this just because he's so quiet in nature is uh, Tremaine Edmonds, mm. and he's a guy that hates to lose as well. Um, like every week we would have, or not every week, but a lot of times our uh, assistant linebacker coach John Agarugo would have like these competitions where we have like Jeopardy, and he would split the room up in half, and uh, you know you had to ask questions, answer questions about offensive schemes, our defense, and we would have sides. And he hated that my team always won. Uh, he couldn't stand it. And, and you could see it on the field. If somebody caught him, the next series, he was going to go out and get him. He just did not like to lose one-on-ones. He couldn't stand it. If somebody was jabbing at him, he wanted to call him out. So uh, Tremaine Edmonds, uh, I think, is definitely uh, one of the most competitive dudes on our team that I think kind of gets overlooked at times. He posted on Instagram the other day a picture uh, of him tackling somebody and said, this year is going to be personal. Personal, yeah. I, I was like, that's the most emotion I've ever seen out of him. I mean, that's that, that, yeah. was, that was fun. I like that. Right, yeah. He's quiet, but he, he has a lot of fire and a lot of passion in him. And if you're around him long enough, you, you, you'll feel it and, you, and you'll hear it. You'll, somebody will say a comment, and I'm a great people watcher, so I look at his eyes, and you get to see how it cuts him a certain type of way. Like, he... <laughs> He's going to sneak and get you. He's not going to talk trash. He's going, oh, okay, he got me. And then come back, and then you you like, man, where did that come from? That happened like a week ago, you know? So that's the type of dude he is. So one of the big things that's happening this offseason is a, a pretty big paradigm shift when it comes to the perception of the Buffalo Bills. All of a sudden, oh, yeah. this team, after what it did last year and, the, and obviously the changes that Brandon and Sean have made – are there's real, real expectations now. And I, I want to ask you because you were at the forefront of, of that m- movement of like, listen, let us be the underdog, man. We have a chip on our shoulder. We're going to prove ourselves every week, game in and game out. What happens next year when it's, 
okay, now the Bills are expected to win as opposed to the last couple as the rise has happened where it's almost been like if, if they win, great, but the expectation's not there yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, obviously there's always a different feel. I think external and internal. And I mm-hmm. think when you talk about expectations to win, we always had an expectation to win. Now, whether or not everybody else felt like uh, we, we were going to win or not, that's something else. And so I, I think finally everybody else is catching up to where we're at or where the Bills are at now. Um, because even the last couple of years, I think Sean is really just trying to uh, impose that culture and, and breed it within us. Because after losing for so long, you can come to accustomed to losing. And, and the expectation of losing, or oh, here go the Bills again. And I think, obviously, when things are happening internally and you're a lot closer to it, you can see the transition much quicker than somebody that's not around the organization, around the building as much as every single day. And so this progress that we're talking about really started when Sean got, got to the Bills and Brandon got to the Bills in 17. It's really just been progressing. And last year, I think we were, I think we were there as far as what we expected to go out there and do, and we did it. For the most mm-hmm. part, obviously, we didn't win in the playoffs. And, but it took a, a year for everybody else to kind of say, okay, let, let me make sure that they're going in the right direction before we jump on jump on this. Um, just because people are always are cautious, especially with the Bills organization and what it has traditionally been, especially in between the greatness and where they're at now with that 17-year playoff drought. And so I think everybody else is just finally catching up. I think the team will do fine because they're not going to change the process that Sean always talks about, you know, what does practice look like? What does offseason look like? Um, how do we prepare just because uh, we, they have four, uh, four primetime games and now the national media and fans expect them to win? The mm-hmm. process won't change. It's going to be the same. Um, it's just, they just have probably a little bit more notoriety now going in the game. So, but I don't see it affecting anybody because there's a lot of veterans that have been on teams that have won before. And last year, a lot of the guys got used to winning anyway. So that it's not going to be a huge difference in my mind. Now that you've had a couple months to go back and, you know, the last time I talked to you was that, that night in Houston after that game. And, you know, it's, you know, you can, we can ask you all the questions in the world, but it's hard to put into words, you know, a season's worth of work that you guys put in, you know, in one moment there. And, you know, the quarantine uh, or the off season started shortly after that. And we really never, I think that most of the guys didn't even get back for locker clean out the media guys because it was because of the travel. And so, you know, it's hard to put into, you know, perspective right then but now that you've had these months to kind of you know compartmentalize and and really look at what you guys accomplished last year where do you where do you leave 2019 and early 2020 with as you walk off in the sunset about that that last team you played on um you know it's kind of been part of my whole career and one of the things that I've always wanted to do especially as I've I've grown um in, in, in the role of the leadership in whatever team was, that was Washington, Arizona, even Oakland when I was there for only one year, and obviously with Buffalo the last four years, was try to leave the team in a much better place than when I got there. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily wins and losses, but just from a relational and environment and cultural standpoint. And I think um, they are primed to win. And, and I think with Sean and uh, the leaders and the, and the guys that he's brought in, I, Obviously, having Kyle there for two of those years, um, you know, me for three of them. Uh, I think we have helped create an environment where they still have great leadership. They have a nucleus of young guys that are coming in that can play and understand uh, what it means to be a pro. And they really just set up, they've set themselves up to really take advantage of this opportunity. And now they have to put the work in. Obviously, they're going to have to, you know, be somewhat lucky as in having minimized injuries especially to certain guys on the, on the team um but the nfc east is is theirs for the taking and i think based on having some of the experience last year's with the, the dallas game the houston game they understand what it takes to win on prime time and, and in clutch situations uh even playing teams like uh, baltimore that we came up short against but then you think about pittsburgh and what that game meant uh, there's a lot of experience and a lot of youth and a lot of talent on this team. And now you interject uh, uh, Diggs, uh, uh, Mario Addison. They've added some pieces to, to kind of fill some roles of guys that moved on. And so it's really up to them, you know, to understand it week to week, uh, what's at stake and to really just t- take control of it and, and don't get into a situation to where they have to play catch up because 
they assumed something was going to happen based on what happened last year. But I think Sean does a great job every year as far as resetting the team, resetting the vision, and then making sure everybody is held accountable uh, week to week uh, for the way they prepare and the way they play. For, um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned roles because Sean talks about it all the time. You don't replace guys like Kyle and like you. You know, it, it's kind of a, you know, you got to see what you have and you go from there and you, you implement right. a new plan. But for looking at the roster now, I mean, obviously they added AJ Klein and Mario Addison as well. Is that the type of thing where you think multiple people can kind of fill the role that you left and, and maybe do some of the things that you did? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't, and, and, I, and I hate to kind of talk about myself, feel like I'm about to just, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of praise myself in this, but I don't think there's a lot of players that have the ability to play the three technique, play outside backer, play off the ball backer, play special teams, and it's just the nature of the beast of how I came into the league, and it's just something that I, I developed with a lot of great coaches and players around that have that attribute, and so it's hard to find guys that are that versatile um, in, in, in different positions. And so, yes, you know, from a, uh, you know, a roster standpoint to replace a guy that has that ability, you do have to normally bring in two or three guys and, and then who knows what else is on your roster that may rise up to maybe fill some of those roles. But based on the guys that they sign, the guys that they have on the roster, I think collectively they won't have any issue as far as replacing what I was able to do from a production standpoint, as far as leadership roles, that's always hard. Just like one, Williams left but my mindset is never we're, we're unique everybody's unique and so I don't want Tremaine I don't want uh Jordan Poyer or Jerry Hughes or uh Micah Hyde or any of those guys to try to be me I want them to maybe take something that I brought and add it to what they do and lead uh the way that they best deem to fit in their own personalities because that's the only way that is going to be received by everybody else. Because if I was going to try to be Kyle Williams last year, people would have been like, man, why are you trying to act like Kyle Williams? The same way when you have head coaches that have been under like a Belichick or one of those iconic coaches, when they come into a place and try to be that coach and not be themselves, it's like, man, you're trying to be him. You're not him. And so it's all about being genuine in the way that uh, you lead a team. And so hopefully those guys learn something from me that I was impactful in some sort of way. But then they 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 utilize that in their own unique personalities and how they they would normally you know talk to somebody or lead a team. And you know some of the players that they've brought in this year on special teams: the Tyler Maddockevich, uh, Taiwan Jones on special teams. Yeah. Um, are those the types of players that you see that maybe they envision uh, replacing you on special teams because of what you brought to that unit? Yeah, well, I was upset that we let Taiwan go. Uh, last year because, I mean, I played with him in Oakland. He's been a dynamic player in his league on special teams for a long time. And so uh, he's he's different than I, than I am as mm -hmm. far as how he plays the game. So he he's not going to replace me and what I do. He's going to bring his own dynamic. And it's actually great that he that he's there because he's probably now him and um, Saran Neal are probably the top special teams guys. And I would give Taiwan the nod just because of his experience in the league and what he's done consistently. Um, Kyle is more like me, more of a linebacker, big body type of guy, can play guard, more of that physical edge setter. And so um, obviously he, I, I guess the other day he mentioned that he's learned, you know, some things from me watching film. And that's obviously a huge uh, um, compliment when somebody, a younger guy in the league uh, looks towards you as some things they can add to the game, you know, because I did that with other guys as well. Um, and, and he'll do, like I said before, he'll probably take some pieces, add it to what he's able to do and then put his own, twist on it and so then it'll be all about how he's playing in the, in the production he's made even though I may have had some influence on on his career uh you mentioned Mario earlier and and he mentioned you and the impact that you had on him I mean what are the bills getting in him because obviously the production has been obvious and you saw him out you saw him out there at the joint practices uh I mean he can still he can still get after the quarterback yeah, uh, Mario's great. Um, I think we played together in 2012 in Washington. I think it's the season that we were together. And, um, you know, obviously a great young talent. Um, there he was kind of like me trying to get in and trying to find his spot. Um, but very smart, uh, intuitive. And I think he's really grown up in this league as well as, as uh, maturity and leadership. And so he's definitely going to be able to bring that, especially to the D-line room, which I think is much needed to have a, a solid base like that there. And so it's going to be uh, great for him. 
to be able to showcase himself in a different role too. I mean, coming off the edge, we all know he can do that, but I also think he can do some of the things I was doing as far as moving to that three technique, standing up, being that joker, along with him and Trent Murphy kind of utilizing themselves in that role. And so I think it's going to be um, – I think it's still it's going to be status quo as far as him being able to step into that role that I was doing on the third down packages because he's very athletic and versatile in what he's doing and he's been very productive. I think he's been a double digit sack guy in the last two or three years. Um, Trent Murphy, I'm I'm glad you mentioned him because it seems like there's a certain portion of the fan base that just wants to run him right out of town, man. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know why. I I go back to last year and those that playoff game. How important and you know productive and dynamic was he in that game yeah i mean trent is 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 a man's man and i'm actually surprised because he fits his his personality is so buffalo i mean he's you know just blue collar rugged let's go to the woods i'm gonna take you out back and, and whoop you you know man to man and so that's the way he plays mm-hmm. um i think some people sometimes get caught up into the contract and the numbers but obviously his first year he was coming off an injury and he had to work through some of that i thought last year he was very dynamic and now being two years removed and having a full season um, after that ACL, um, I think he's going to be even more dynamic for, than um, than even last year. You know, I kind of look at when I got hurt in Arizona in 2013, I tore my Liz Frank. 2014, I wasn't that good. I was healthy, but I, I was okay. I think Trent did a much better job than I did when I came back in my first year. 2015, I started feeling like myself, like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I feel better. And so this offseason, I know Trent is out here in Arizona. He has a, a huge setup. So he's probably really feeling the first time 100% healthy as far as with the work he can put in the offseason. And so I know Trent is going to come back and be very dynamic again. Um, obviously, he hasn't has put up the, the, the big-time stats that you want to see. But what he does in the run game, from a leadership standpoint, the, the work ethic that he brings. And I think this year is really going to be the year that he puts everything together because he's healthy, has the offseason, comfortable in the defense, um, that he's going to come out there and uh, be very um, dynamic. You add, you talk about Jerry, him, now you add Mario in there. Obviously, Ed has another year. I mean, that's a very dynamic front as far as who can rush the passer and how people are going to have to protect um, um, as far as on third downs when they, when they have passing opportunities. And how big is a guy like Trent, Mario Addison, Jerry for A.J. Epinesa, who's going to come in here now and have all of these, like, you know, veteran lions that have been at this thing for years to kind of show them the ropes. It's going to be great. I mean, even kind of um, knowing or getting to know AJ from afar, um, obviously he's a student of the game. He's a grinder. He works hard. And so he's going to fit right in with that group. All those guys love to be in the weight room. And so I already know his mentality coming in is going to be, Hey, I, I want to learn, show me, how do I do it? And he's going to have a great work ethic. Um, you know, sometimes with rookies, you're not quite sure what you're going to get. Are they going to come in here and be prima donnas? And, you know, I made it. I'm, you know, second uh, second round pick. But I already know this dude is going to be blue collar working in. And then you had him and Ed learning from each other. And that dynamic, I think, is going to be huge because Ed will be able to speak to your rookie year a lot better than, you know, a guy that's further removed from it. And so he's going to get help, you know, from obviously from Ed. And then as well as those veteran guys. And so I think his learning curve would definitely be at a much higher level just because of the different guys that are in the room and how the defensive line is constructed. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Ed because Ed was a guy who lost some snaps early in the year to Jordan Phillips because he was, I think maybe there were some rookie struggles, but then when he had some time to kind of sit back, when, the, when he was reinserted into that lineup and he started to get more snaps, you saw that potential, you saw that stardom. So, uh, what kind of advice do you think a second-year player can give to a rookie like Epineza, who in yeah. this case would be the Bills' first pick in that draft? Right. I mean, he's going to be able to speak to the ups and downs in the NFL and the transition going from college to the pros and what that looks like. And then be able to speak to how Sean McDermott, what the expectations of a co- of the head coach is. Because a lot of times that you're used to a certain environment, obviously at Iowa, I don't know who the head coach is, but now you're going to um, – the NFL into a new environment. If you're being coached differently or just coached from a different person, sometimes it's not received the right way. And so Ed can help maybe communicate that better. And that's why it's so important that we have player leadership at every level, because a coach can say one thing and mean it like a player is actually telling you, you know, you know what I mean? And so I think you'll be able to give him kind of the lay of the land. Like if Sean was to, 
maybe say something. Hey, dude, man, just chill. That's just him trying to push you or coach you so he doesn't maybe take it personal. Or if he t- loses some stuff, hey, dude, don't worry about it. this happened to me last year. Don't lose your confidence. Just continue to work on your fundamentals and you'll get your chance again, but just continue to work. Uh, because sometimes if you don't have that guy or that voice, you can get in your own head. And I think maybe that happened to Ed a little bit last year because there really was nobody his his age around him constantly. Uh, you know, Harrison got hurt and he wasn't around as much. Who could have probably been that bridge guy? And so hopefully that relationship is a lot better for AJ to come in and have an Ed there consistently to be able to speak to some of the things that he's going to um, go through his rookie year. We were uh, in Indianapolis and um, just lamenting, us media guys, about the fact that Leslie Frazier still isn't a head coach in this league. And yeah. again, uh, obviously the success that you guys have had, I mean, you know, nobody talks more uh, glowingly about Leslie than you, but the way that Sean has now built this staff, bringing in Eric Washington on the defensive line coach, you know, former yeah. D coordinator himself. I mean, I almost think the writing might be on the wall in a sense that, listen, this could be a big year for this defense and we might not be able to hang on to Leslie for much longer. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be there now, but obviously for whatever reason he still is. I mean, I, I really love Leslie. He's probably been one of the most impactful coaches from um, a mentoring aspect, um, just off the field. And I think a lot of that's because I'm an older guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he played the league. He's transitioned. He's doing great. He's a Christian man, and so we relate well on a lot of different levels. He does a great job as far as uh, inviting his players to be a part of the process, and it's not a dictatorship. I just think he's a great leader. He doesn't get very rattled on the sideline. He's very measured. And I think sometimes people take that for weakness. And so I don't know if that may be some of it because he's not, he's not a, a yeller. He's not going to get in your face. He's going to come and speak to you in a calm voice, which to me is a huge asset because when bullets are flying and things are crazy, somebody just gave up a big touchdown. He comes with a calm, uh, collected and thoughtful uh, approach to it that I think really, um, uh, this calms guys down and, and you're able to get back to the fundamentals and recover, which I thought really helped us because we were good last year, but we still gave up some big plays that hurt us, but we were able to regroup. And a lot of teams aren't able to do that. And I think a lot of that is his sense. And you talk about um, having other defensive coordinators on staff. You got, you know, obviously Bob Babbage was a D coordinator. The D, new D line coaches are D coordinator. And then I, and Bobby Babbage is up and coming as well. And so there's a lot of talent on that Bills defense um, coaching staff. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've been so good because you got great coaching all over the place. And um, I didn't even mention, you know, D, uh, um, John, who's a, who's a defensive back coach who's really good as well, um, really love the way he teaches the game too. So it's they have a lot of talent over there, and I think you'll continue to see guys continue to get better because they're teachers first. They're teaching fundamentals, technique, scheme, the why behind the game. So when things break down – or you may get lost a little bit. You know how to center yourself back to the fundamentals and, and get things rolling again. You know, you're, you're a great person to talk to about leaders and leadership. You know, Sean's leadership has been celebrated in what he's been able to do here. How much of the continuity built in the coaching staff starts with Sean in the way that he kind of enables all of his coaches on both sides of the ball? I mean, is there a lot of that? Is there a lot of open discourse in the rooms that, you know, kind of empowers these guys? <laughs> yeah, and I think being an older guy, I'm a little bit more uh, pervy to some of the conversations that go on. And so um, I, I think he does a great job of allowing his coaches to be themselves and have an open dialogue. I think at some point, though, he understands. And I think he made a struggle with this a little bit earlier as a head coach. You don't want to step on toes. But at some point, he does realize now that he has to say, this is the way it's going to happen. If there, if there's like a, a discord between the coaches as far as how we're going to game plan this week, but he's not a micromanager. He's hired people that he trusts, and and he and he believes that everybody um, has the ability to, to to be their own person. He gives them that freedom to be their own person, coach the people up. But when he sees something, he knows how to interject himself without being coming across disrespectful. And so I think some, that's a that's a um, a good uh, trait for a leader. Because sometimes people can, hey, I want you to do it this way. And it comes across like, like you're infringing on, upon their environment. He does a great job as far as inserting himself, maybe giving his couple of two cents and then, and then leaving the room. And so I think uh, people have been very appreciative of that over the time. Because if you have somebody that's constantly pressing on you, pressing on you, pressing on you, and not allowing you to do your job and micromanaging you, you can get resentful. 
And so he's created, a, obviously, a great environment, not only for the players and letting, allowing ourselves to be ourselves, but also with the coaching staff as well. Who's the, um, who's the unsung hero of the process? Somebody that Ooh. fans fans don't – this person wouldn't necessarily get much of the credit or much of the headlines, but you know what? this thing doesn't go without them. You, you know, I, I, I'm going to say, and she's not even a coach. It's, uh, it's Laura Young, and it's by far. And she's like uh, our player liaison, and she does a great job of helping guys with off-the-field stuff. You know, people always think about – think that the most important stuff is like what happens at work and what happens in the meeting room. But as a father of, you know, four kids, I have a wife. If things are going bad at home, things aren't going to go well at work. And she does a great job of when new guys come in or you may have an issue with logistics, picking something up or just something that, you know, that comes up just being, being a family man and having a family. She really does a great job of stepping in and helping making the wives feel welcome, making the family feel welcome and bringing everybody together and doing little things that you, you wouldn't expect people to do to go out of their way. I know she, sometimes she's even going to pick up a wife when they come in and we're at practice just so the guy has the clarity of mind knowing that his family is taken care of. And so that type of stuff goes a long way. And yeah, it's not going to show up on Sundays, but for me knowing that my family's good when they're coming in, I know I can be all in at practice or all in at, in meetings and I'm not going to miss on a detail because my mind may be wondering like, I wonder if my wife is okay to have everything go at the airport, you know? And so, uh, and we have people like that sprinkled throughout the organization, but I think Laura Young by far is one of those people that I say um, helps run the organization and doesn't get enough credit for what she does. No, that's really cool. And there's, there's so many people, you know, throughout these, you know, organizations and leagues, um, coming from the UFC side of things and, and really getting to see the behind the curtain a little bit and see how this thing runs. It takes so, it takes so many people to run the village. And, you know, if one person kind of drops the ball and, and, and it's, it's stuff that fans don't even see or think about, it's all right. X's and O's and practice and, <laughs> right. and, you know, uh, 53 man rosters and all this kind of stuff. And there's so much that we're, we're human beings at the end of the day. Right. And yeah, it all is impacted. So I think that that's a, a really cool thing. Before we move on to some more fun stuff and a couple fan things before I let you out of here, I want to ask you about Brandon and Sean's relationship because I think that that's one of the most centralized, like foundational pieces of this success story so far. Yeah, it, because we'll make them great. They, they've even talked about it, how if that thing doesn't work, I mean, that's how I've organizations. Yeah. I've I mean, been around it. I mean, that's why they're probably the best organization. The other place I saw – that synergy worked well was in Arizona. Uh, we had Steve Kahn and Bruce Arians doing that run uh, when they went to the NFC Championship. Um, and I've been on some organizations where it, it, it isn't good at all. I mean, so you have head coach and GM kind of going in their own direction um, or trying to do each other's job. And I think Brandon and Sean have done a great job of staying in their lanes, having a, 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 um, a respect for each other's job and uh, not stepping on each other's toes. And so he allows Brandon to build the roster, bring in the talent. Obviously, they both have input on stuff. But at the end of the day, then, then Brandon allows Sean to coach the team and drive the team in a certain way. And he's not like, hey, you need to play X, Y, Z. Uh, or going to the D coordinator, hey, I want you to play X, Y, Z. So they, they have a great relationship. They do it the right way. And because there's great synergy at the top and even ownership, the way ownership works with those two guys, that just naturally trickles down to everybody else. Um, and, and I think that's why the organization you hear about One Buffalo, they truly uh, try to create and cultivate that type of culture every single day in every aspect of the building. That's awesome. Um, thank you for all of that. I, I think that you know, getting a chance to talk to the player in this kind of setting, like this podcast-style setting where you get kind of – it's more conversational because I – you know, like sometimes we're in the room, you're coming off the practice field, man. And it's like, we're just sitting there like, this guy does not want to talk to us right now. I mean, I, I know it's, right. it's got to be tough. Yo, you're, you're right. I don't want to talk to you all the time. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's part of it. But, you know, the cool thing about it is, is that you became friends, right? I, I, it's, a, it's a whole bunch of media members that I would call friends. And it wasn't like a, a work relationship, but. Um, I wanted to help you out because I really, I mean, you were, you were friends. And so I know you're trying to do a job and support your family. And so 
that's the type of approach I took for it. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's why I try to get to know guys, at least have side conversations, ask about how your family's doing, what's going on outside of just talking sports. So when you do need something or you do come to me, I have a, a different perspective because you're my boy. So I want to take care of you versus, man, who is this dude? Yeah. Speaking of, you know, you know being my boy, you know, your boys had a, had a nice little thing happen with this whole quarantine thing because it wasn't a good looking season for the Golden State Warriors, my man. They're, oh, that's all good though. That's oh no, good. it's 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 good because now oh, they no, can. We're not worried about it. Yeah, we perfect. <laughs> we sitting right where we want to be at. We we good. We ain't worried about that. We weren't expected to win, but next year we'll win another title. And what's funny about that too is <laughs> they are. I was joking about this with my friends the other day. The Warriors are going to probably be the West Con- Western Conference favorites next year when Steph and Clay come back healthy. They ha- now have Andrew Wiggins, who I think is sneaky, a really nice piece added, and they're going to have a top draft pick. Right. So I can only talk this smack for a little while. <laughs> um, Lorenzo, a couple fan questions. Um, who will be the breakout player for the Bills in 2020? Ah, uh, breakout player. I don't I don't know if they if they have that type of is anybody a sleeper really um you know what I will say this I think uh Saran Neal going into I think this is his third season I think he will be a guy that role will continue to grow and I if it's not Saran it's going to be Quan uh Johnson Jaquan. Mm. so I think he cuz he's a really smart player and so I'll see him maybe his role maybe will grow and it'll be out of one or two of those guys just depending on how COVID-19 continues to impact the offseason, you know, where they have a training camp um, because as training camp and all that stuff reduces, coaches are going to go to guys that they, that they know can do it. And they, and they, they don't really have time to, to gain the trust of a coach, if that makes sense. So, cause you mm-hmm. know, like right now you have some guys that are probably a little bit more veteran guys that have been out there. And I think coaches will go to them first, but if they have a little bit of a training camp, I, I see Saran Neal or Jaquan Johnson making a big step. You know, uh, you, you mentioned the, the offseason possibly obviously being shortened. So how important do you think it was that the Bills added all these players that had some experience with Sean McDermott or Eric Washington uh, or even right. bringing back familiar faces like E.J. Gaines and Taiwan Jones? How important do you think that would be for the Bills in 2020? It's significant. I mean, if you have a team that's a more of a veteran team going through this offseason that has been in the system or understands what, they, what the coach expects from them, what the scheme is, it's an easier transition, um, especially if there's a, a, a shortened training camp. And so maybe you get two weeks versus the traditional five weeks. You got to have guys that are ready to play. And veterans, know, they understand what the season is going to bring. They understand the, the, the system. And so you may be a lot deeper in your system versus a younger team who's just working on the foundational pieces because they never played for the coach, haven't played in the NFL. And so I think it's very significant if you have have a, a great core group of veterans that can kind of lead your team, especially early on and put some games in the bank, you know, cause a lot of times if you can come out of the, the gate and go three and one or maybe four and oh, you kind of put yourself in the driver's seat um, as far as, you know, winning the division. And, and obviously this year you want to get the number one seed. So you have a bye. Do you have any uh, intentions to go into coaching? I think I've heard you say before that y- you were unsure, maybe, and but fans. No, no unsurety, no unsurety at all. I'm, I'm not coaching at all. Not, not on an NFL level. I, you know, I may do high school, um, but there's a lot of time that goes into it. And, and, and I say I'm not, not going to do it. Like I'm not going to do it this year or the next two or three years. You know, when my kids get older, maybe I decide to go and transition and coach. But I will still be around football um you know my my passion i enjoy the game but i really enjoy uh young men developing character and Mm -hmm. leadership qualities off the field because that's going to impact everything that's going to impact uh the relations with their wives their families uh their kids and then all of that stuff is going to naturally trickle into football and make them a better football player um and so that's where my passion is and so will i be involved in that way and be like a life coach in a sense um, yes, that's what I'm looking to get into, um, this second phase of my life. So I won't be your traditional coach, be more about mentoring and, and, and life coaching, helping young men, um, grow up and maybe root out some of those boyish tendencies we all have when we are in our early twenties, you know, living life and, and thinking we're on the top of the world. Lorenzo, if there is a training camp this season, could you see yourself at least coming in for a day or two, kind of like what Kyle Williams did for, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely in the books. Um, I've talked to Sean and some other people, and I was supposed to be out there next week for OTAs uh, for like a mentoring session to meet some of the rookies and be there for like two or three days and then do OTAs with the guys. But yeah, if there's a training camp, I'll definitely be in town. Um, obviously, to to to, to uh, give any advice that I can from a mentoring standpoint and and football stuff because it's, it's all one and the same. It's all relationship. And in fact, I, I'll actually be doing a Zoom conference with the rookies next week as well as uh, the linebackers just to kind of give them, you know, my two cents of what I learned, you know, 15 years in a game, but really more so off the field and how that's really going to impact their careers um, and extend them and then their impact after they're done playing as well. Uh, one of the fans here asked, do you have any uh, family military background? Uh, you seem to have that kind of mentality. <laughs> Um, I, both my grandparents uh, served or grandfather served in the military, one in the Army, one in the Air Force. And then I have a numerous amount of cousins um, that also served in various branches of the military. And so I have an ultimate respect uh, for what they do uh, every single day, obviously, uh, really sign up to make the ultimate sacrifice at any given time because you never know when you have to go go to war, defend our country. Um, and so I have, uh, you know, I just try to honor, honor people like that by, by the way I live my life and, and what I do, because I think a lot of times, just kind of like a lot of these first responders, right, they, they kind of don't get the notoriety and the appreciation that they deserve. Um, and then finally here, um, CR asks, how did the captains react after the Houston game? How did we react? The captains? Yeah. I, I mean, at that point, I mean... I think everybody was kind of in their own own little space. It was nothing that was really said from us uh, per se because it, it it was the end. And so I think you had some guys exhaling. Obviously, I was my mind was because I knew I wasn't going to be playing again. I think Sean kind of wrapped it up, and obviously uh, his biggest message was uh, allow this to fuel your off season. Um, so you remember that feeling, very similar to Michael Jordan after he got beat up. Uh, you know, by the the um, the Detroit Pistons and those Celtic teams. You know, he allowed that to fuel his his fire in the off season. So when you decide, you ah, maybe I'm not going to do it quite hard today. Well, do you want to win in the first round of playoff? Do you want to win a championship? You allow that to fuel you so you come back stronger. And that was kind of the biggest message um, that was given. And I think he did a great job with that. Great stuff. Uh, I'm going to ask you one more question, and then we'll wrap up. Um, you know you do such a good job of explaining to even the most casual football fans, you know, the, you know, the intricacies of the game. And one of the big narratives this off season, I mean, especially leading up to the draft was that big nickel role that Sean has been talking about for years and years and years. And, um, you know, Saran Neal, you mentioned him and, and his special teams acumen, what it, would it look like for him to maybe take more ownership of that role? And what's the potential of that role? If you get somebody that can play it, uh, at a high level, how much could they impact things on the defense? Yeah, it just gives the defense and, and really the ability to match up whatever the offense is doing because you'll get teams like New England who will want to spread you out, um, like in a base personnel, if, especially if they have really good tight ends. And New, New England for a long time had two at one point and then one obviously prolific one. And so they could spread you out and give you 11 looks, but then also come in and then decide that they want to run the ball and give you a 12 look with 12 personnel uh, with two tight ends in the game and run the ball at you. And so sometimes when you have a linebacker like myself, I'm obviously I'm not great in coverage. I can do it, but that's not my, my skill set. And so they'll go into 12 personnel. I'm on the field and base and then spread you out. And then now I'm, I'm they put me in a position to wear uh, a, a position of weakness because it's not my strength. And so maybe they try to exploit that. If you have a guy like Saran Neal who has the ability to obviously cover can run, and then also has the ability to fill gaps because he's a big, strong safety, bigger safety type, you win the matchup. Because at the end of the day, football is really all about matchups and where can I beat you at? And so a guy like Sarandia with his athletic ability, you know, they had DeMarlo do it last year as well. Those guys have the ability to kind of be two-way, smaller linebackers, but also have the athleticism to go out there and guard tight ends. Um it really allows your defense never to feel like you're at a disadvantage when a team is trying to beat you in a, uh, a matchup game. And for Saran to continue to take that next step, 
he just has to be confident in 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 himself. Um, that's always the biggest thing I think when you have young players making that 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 jump, having confidence in who he is and having confidence that he knows what he's doing. And so, obviously, going to his third season, he's had two years to really get comfortable with the nickel spot and. Um, and so I, you know, I have a, a lot of confidence in him coming in this year, having that confidence that okay, I know what I'm doing when they make this adjustment, because uh, you know, defense, offense are not going to stand still. And so, just being confident that you know what you're talking about, and when you do it, do it with confidence, do it with some urgency, and then go out there and make plays. And so that's kind of going to be his progression if he really wants to step up and be the player that we all know he's capable of being. Um, follow Lorenzo's, uh, foundation on Twitter. It's at aces underscore foundation. You could keep up with everything that he's got going on in Buffalo and in Arizona. Um, some really cool stuff. And, and tell them a little bit about the lowdown now because you're, you're live on Instagram every week. What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. So my Instagram, Lorenzo underscore John, and, um, I'm doing predominantly a weekly, um, Instagram live, um, with people that I've come in contact with in my career, guys that inspire me like today at Vernon. Fox on. We played together in 2007 and 8 in Washington. I had my trainer on, Chris Gores. Um, I had uh, Dion uh, Dawkins on as well. And so just guys that I've come in contact with have a lot of uh, respect for and people that have uh, some way impacted my life in a positive way. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to getting London Fletcher on and some other guys that I played with, Larry Fitzgerald in the future, just to kind of continue to pick their brains, see what they're up to. And then obviously it's something I want to go into as well. And so it's obviously, uh, it's, a, it's a good way for me to kind of work on the art of interviewing somebody, which I've never really done, but this gives me great practice in doing that while I'm talking to one of my friends and giving content to the people during this time of the pandemic. And so it's been really fun. And we do that every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on my Instagram live. And so you can follow me, Lorenzo underscore John. Beautiful, beautiful. And have you ever gotten a clear explanation on you already know the what, what that yeah, actually means? Yeah, 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 John has kind of really just uh, transitioned that into like I don't know. He made it his own thing because he was a snowman growing up because he shoveled snow. Okay. And then I, you know, I, you know, we grew up in Jersey shoveling snow for people in the in the neighborhood. So he was a snowman or a snowboy, whatever. And then now he's <laughs> he has essentially put his own little twang on it and swag to it to make it cool, cooler than what it really is. You were just snubbing, shoveling the snow, dude. Now it's that, <laughs> do you snow? You already snow. You know, you snow this. I'm like, man, yeah. Yes, I do snow. You know, so, but it's cool, man. Hey, office alignment, whatever you got to do to make it cool and, and make, he's, he's made it into a cool brand and so I love Deion. I'm just giving him a little bit of a hard time but that's that's where it came from and and now he just put his own little twist and swag to it. That's great stuff. Lorenzo, my man, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been an awesome time. Uh, we really appreciate you. And, and good luck the rest of the offseason. And hopefully we get to see you sometime uh, what, if camp comes around, if we're allowed to be within right. six feet of each other. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, I appreciate it. And just one, one last thing. Um, you know, obviously everybody's going through a hard time. Some people are more impacted than others. And I just want to encourage people to just – you don't actually even have to have money to help somebody. You know, give give somebody a call that you haven't talked to in a while, a kind word. If you have the ability to serve and maybe provide resources or maybe cook a meal for somebody, I just want to encourage everybody to do that because there's a lot of people out there that are struggling right now, um, you know, can't make ends meet. And the only way that we're going to collectively be able to come out of this um, in the best way is if we do it together. And obviously Buffalo is is known for – uh, serving one another. And so I just want to encourage everybody to continue to be that light in everybody's life. And we'll try to do our part as well. So I appreciate everybody that has served and that will serve. Awesome stuff uh, for Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. This has been Bill's talk with Matt Perino and we'll see you next week.